welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Both the Lord Jesus and Joseph show us what humility is. You know what people think about humility? Some people think that to be humble, I have to think less of myself. You know, I got to think I'm very, very low. Oh, I'm so low. I'm not low enough. I'll get lower. You know, (laughs) Humility is not to think less of yourself. Humility is to think less about yourself. Because when a person thinks less of themselves, he's still thinking about himself. Humility is to lose yourself in doing God's will. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus. He was humble when he did not think about what was going to happen to him by being truthful because he was thinking about doing the will of God the Father. And Joseph was humble when he did not think about what was going to happen to him from his brothers, but just by being truthful, because he was concerned he had to get his brothers this message about his dream. That's humility. And we are humble when we don't think about what's going to happen to ourselves because we're just thinking about doing God's will. That's humility. So it's important to be humble. Why is it important to be humble? Because of what James said. James 4, 6, James 4, 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Have you ever thought about how that verse is a mirror? It's a mirror. Actually, it's a mirror. The proud resist God. And God says, well, I'll return that, and I'll resist the proud. The humble accept God. And God says, well, I'll return that. And God accepts the humble. It's a mirror. Now, what we see here is a simple, truthful way in which Joseph reports his dreams. And it shows us how Joseph, it shows us who Joseph is. And, and I mean, Joseph, it's a beauty here because Joseph, he's not suspicious of his brothers. He's trusting. He's actually trusting. He's not hateful of his brothers. brothers. He's loving. He doesn't want to retaliate. Well, I'm going to get back at you boys now. He doesn't want to retaliate. He wants to reconcile. And so it's a wonderful, Joseph's a wonderful picture for us of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love or charity suffereth long. It was a long time that Joseph endured his brother's hatred. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4, charity or love is kind. And you think of how, how, how kind Joseph was to his brethren to try to get them to stop this evil and get his father to intervene so, and so that they would stop and not hurt themselves. And also, not to withhold this vital information that he had about his dream. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, love envieth 
not. Love envieth not. I mean, think about how Joseph, he didn't resent his low position of being the errand boy. And he wasn't jealous of his brothers who would give orders to him, do this, do that. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is not puffed up. Love is not puffed up. Think about Joseph. He didn't push it in their face, there's his special coat. You know? And 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not easily provoked. And think about how there's not one single word in our text here of Joseph fighting back against his brothers. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 6, 13, 6, love thinketh no evil. Love thinketh no evil. He never, we don't see him scheming. We don't see him planning, you know, like they were planning to throw him in a pit. They don't see, we don't see any of that. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, 13, 6, love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Joseph sees the evil or the iniquity that his brothers were up to. He didn't say, oh, great, make room for me, boys. Here I come. It grieved him in his heart. He was not rejoicing in iniquity. So he tells his father so that they could make it stop so he could rejoice in truth. First Corinthians 13, 7, 13, 7. Love beareth all things, Love endureth all things. Beareth all things, endureth all things. Joseph is going to suffer tremendously in Egypt for over 10 years. And he's going to bear physical pain, especially the pain on his feet when they put him in those stocks. And you can be sure in the prison when they put him in their stocks, they didn't say to him, what size shoe do you wear? (laughs) So the pain that he had to endure the sexual temptation is a single man. Sexual temptation from Potiphar's wife. The discouragement from being forgotten in prison by the one who is supposed to tell the Pharaoh that he's a good dream interpreter. And he, he will bear all things. He will endure all things. First Corinthians 13, 7, 13, 7. Love believeth all things and hopeth all things. See, even after his, all, all that his brothers did to him, Joseph believed that the family would be all reconciled and, and Joseph never lost hope in this. You can see this down in, in Egypt, it's beautiful. Which is a model for us because when we witness to the lost, I mean, we shouldn't look at the lost and say, ah, you know, no hope for you. Dead, damned, and delivered, you know. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. We should, we, when, we, when we look at the lost, we should believe they're going to come to the Lord. They're going to come to the Lord. And, and that strong no, it's just a delayed yes. That's all. And hope for their salvation. Hope for the, Someone has to hope for them. And God says, will you be the hopers? And so, now, we see more of how Joseph told his dream in Genesis 37 to 7, in verse 7, verse 7, when he says, behold, We were binding sheaves in the field, literally in the middle of the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance, they bowed, to my sheaf. So he starts out by telling his dreams with the words, for behold, for behold. I mean, this really shows us how Joseph was, was surprised by his dream. He was so excited 
and surprised that two more times in verse seven, he uses the surprise word. Behold, lo, behold. It's like Joseph is saying, what a surprise. We were binding sheaves in the middle of the field and what a surprise. My sheaf just arose and and what an even greater surprise. Your sheaves came around my sheaf and then they bowed to my sheaf. I mean, Joseph is telling his dream in verse seven, kind of in a freestyle. Here he, you know, no editing. Here he, he's just telling, telling just as he saw in his mind. It's just like a little kid speaking out of breath with excitement. You know, he he sets the scene. He says in verse seven, "We were binding sheaves in the field, you know, and lo, my sheaf arose." He might as well have said, "I couldn't believe my eyes." We just cut the grain. We're tying the grain up in sheaves. And wow, my sheaf just stood up by itself. I mean, it's spooky. <laughs> but to see Joseph explain his dream is to see Joseph just acting like a child. He's childlike. It's beautiful. And this is what the Lord wants for us to be like. Children is what he said in Matthew 18.3. Matthew 18.3. And he sa- and said, verily, I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the Lord said we need to be converted and become like little children. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, that means we need to be converted from being an adult, you know, to be an adult with the academic stuffiness and the discussion oriented. Let's discuss this and let's debate. And let's be proud. And, let, and, and he says, you go get, get converted backwards. And you be like you were when you were a child, with all the excitement of a child. You know, as adults, you know what thing we do as adults? We worry. We worry. I worry. We worry. And you ever notice how children don't worry? They don't really worry. You know, I mean, there sits little Ivy. Ivy now. She's got leukemia. We worry so much about her. She, you know, by the time her chemo is over, she will have had chemo for two years oral chemo, routine IV chemo, intravenous chemo, chemo into her spinal column. And we're going, oh, these poisons, we worry. We search the internet for the average time of survival for a child with leukemia. We worry if she's going to survive the chemo. And with all our worrying, what's IV do? She just knows that one day, I don't feel good. You know? And the next day, I'll feel better. I think I'll go pinch my brother's. You know, <laughs> she doesn't worry. She doesn't even know what leukemia is or what chemo is. She just does feel good. I mean, maybe, maybe she just won't feel good. She will keep on wanting to feel good. And then she'll die and she'll pass into God's hands. But, but we worry. We worry. Like this week, you know, I went for days of strong dizziness. And where I had to hold the walls. You remember a prayer meeting? You know, I was going to think, oh, no. You know, first I thought, I got a brain tumor. I know I got a brain tumor. So I'm looking on the internet about brain tumors. And then I'm speaking to my friend John. I think I got a brain tumor. He says, oh, you ought to have an ultrasound of your carotids. Carotids. Oh, then I was convinced. Oh, I have blood clot in one of my carotids. So <laughs> that's it. I knew it. And so I called my, my friend, Dr. Moore at Grossmont Hospital, the interventional radiologist on the clot retrieval team for brains. And I asked him, how good is the blood clot, blood clot retrieval team at Grossmont? He says, you think you have a blood clot in your carotid? I said, yeah. And he says, well, if you did, I wouldn't be talking to you now. <laughs> he said, you'd be in the ICU. <laughs> no, no. I was convinced I had the blood clot in the carotid. That was it. 
So I call up Takati and I said, listen, you got to do a brain CT, a brain CT cut with contrast so that you can see exactly where this blood clot is in the carotid. So I fast all day, you know, for the brain CT. I arrive there and Dr. Trejo says, let me just, before we do this, let me just take a look inside your ears. So she looks in the ear, she goes, your eardrums are like balloons. <laughs> she says, you've got congestion. Take Sudafed. And so I did, immediately, dizziness is gone. So <laughs> all the worrying brain tumors, blood clots in the carotids. And the Lord says in, in Matthew 18, 3, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children. So God now, he's given a message to Joseph. It's a message of sheaths, sheaths. And they're both, this message of sheaves is both for Joseph and his brothers. What's a sheaf? A sheaf are stalks of grain that have first been cut down and then bound together, bound up, and that's what a sheaf is, right? And so in the dream, both Joseph and his brothers are pictured as sheaves. Now, before the stalks of grain can be put into the sheaf, they got to first be cut down and bound. And that's very important very important because before Joseph and his brothers can get to this place, they have to first be cut down and bound. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Joseph. He's going to be cut down by being thrown into a pit, sold as a slave to Midianites heading for Egypt, and then be fal- Joseph will be falsely accused of attempted rape, and Joseph will be bound in prison, and his feet's going to go in those painful stocks. Okay, So in order for Joseph... To be a sheaf in Joseph's dream, Joseph has to first be cut down and then bound like a sheep. That's exactly what's going to happen to the brothers. They will be cut down by being falsely accused of stealing a golden cup and by stealing money that they paid for the grain. And then Joseph's brothers are going to be bound in prison for these crimes. So in order for Joseph's brothers to be the sheaves and seen as Joseph's dreams here, they have to be first cut down and bound like a sheaf. And before a lost person comes to God, he has to be cut down from his pride and see that he is bound by sin. Now, maybe Joseph told his brothers that he saw their sheaves bowing down to his sheaf. He uses the word shakha in Hebrew. He's bowing down. And this actually happened. And later we're going to see in Genesis 42.6 where it says, And Joseph was governor of all the land, and it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down, shacha. They bowed down themselves before their face. The same word that he used in his dream. And Genesis 43.26, Genesis 43.26, when Joseph came home and brought him the present that was in their hand in the, into the house, they bowed themselves, shacha, to him, to the earth. As a matter of fact, it says that when the brothers were totally broken, it doesn't say that they, they, they shakad them they, they, in an orderly, courteous bowing. It says in Genesis 44, 14, 44, 14, Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house for he was yet there and they fell down before him on the ground. They fell down, they fall, they fell down in front of Joseph. So what we've seen here is what this dream meant to Joseph's brothers and how it made them hate Joseph. But these dreams were very valuable for Joseph as well because God knew that Joseph was about to go through great troubles. So God prepares Joseph by encouraging him 
look, here's a couple dreams for you that are really going to encourage you. You need these, Joseph. And the Lord Jesus is our example in this of how to focus on what God shows to not get discouraged. Because it says in the Hebrews, it says in Hebrews 12.2, Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of, the, of God. See, the Lord has joy, had joy in front of him when he was enduring the cross. What was the joy? There's so much joy in heaven over just one sinner that repents. And the Lord Jesus had that joy in front of him when he was on the cross. His was the joy of Hebrews 2.10. Hebrews 2.10. For it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Bringing many sons to glory. I mean, he saw the joy of bringing you and I and many others sons to glory. That means he's focused on that, and that's what keeps him going. And since the Lord Jesus is our joy, we're told just do the same thing in Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Your joy is your encouragement when you go through great troubles. So the dreams were for Joseph's encouragement, for him to remember and not get discouraged. And that's why it says, in Psalm 105, verse 17, Psalm 105, verse 17, God sent a man before him, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. See, these dreams here, they're all about Joseph's future as well. They're all about Joseph's future. But you know, there's something interesting about these dreams. Because there's just a certain part of Joseph's future that's not in the dreams. What is it? What part of Joseph's future is not in these dreams? That is in the dreams. The other part's not in. There's nothing in here about imprisonment. (laughs) There's nothing in here about being thrown into a pit. There's nothing in here about being falsely accused. There's nothing in here about sold as a slave. That was intentional. That was intentional because God wanted to encourage Joseph by giving him a joy that was set before him so he could endure all the trials. And that's what God does for us. It's a good thing he doesn't show us all that we have to go through. But he just gives us the good part, the joy part, to look in front of us. And what God did for Joseph by giving Joseph those dreams for encouragement is exactly what God does for us every day. Daily devotions are so important because that's where God says, let me give you a word that you're gonna need, just like he told Joseph. But he tells the dreams, they offend the brothers. You know what really offended the brothers? You know what really offended the brothers? You tell me if you can see it. In verse eight, his brethren said unto him, shalt thou indeed reign over us? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his words and for his, for his dreams, for his words. What are the three words that are repeated in this verse? Shalt thou indeed. Shalt thou indeed. Can you feel what the brothers were saying to Joseph? Shalt thou, shalt you indeed reign over us? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? You know, and then it says they hated him yet the more. See, this emphasis on the you 
you know. You, Joseph, they were offended by the fact that this was Joseph who was going to reign over them. You know, Joseph was not impressive. He was, he was a second to the youngest. He was protected by his father. You know, he had the dead mother. You know, his brothers were saying, not this man. We will not have this man to reign over us, this man. Those are the exact words the Lord Jesus used in a parable when he was describing himself in symbol. And he said in Luke 19, 14, like Luke 19, 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a message to him after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. See, again, all this emphasis on this man, thou. When the people looked at the Lord Jesus, they just weren't impressed with his outward appearance. I mean, it says in Isaiah 53, 2, Isaiah 53, 2, he'll grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised. He's rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He's despised. We esteemed him not. See, when he came to his own, it says in John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own rejected him. They received him not. So what, what happened is that when he came to his own, they said, oh, no, not him. We don't see any beauty in him. We despise him. We will not have that man to rule over us. It's the same with Joseph. Oh, no. Thou, you? No, no. So the rejection of the Lord Jesus was very personal, not him. His father, his mother, his brothers, his sisters, they're not impressive. Just look at them. That's what they were saying in John 6.42, John 6.42. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Matthew 13, 54, Matthew 13, 54. When he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then man has these things, they were offended at him. But Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor, save in his own country and in his own, his own house. See, what they were saying was that with a mother and father and brothers and sisters like that, no, we'll never accept him to rule over us. Him? It's exactly the way it was with Joseph. Thou? You're going to rule over us? So, summing it all up, what do we see in Genesis 37? What we see in Genesis 37 is God's starting material. That's what he's going to start with, right? It's the clay. And he's going to take this material, this family, these people, and he's going to change them for his glory. And so what we're going to see here is the glory of God, not the glory of family. We certainly don't see glory of family, but we're going to see the glory of God as he changes them through the life of Joseph over the period of the rest of the book of Genesis. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Joseph and his the example that he is to us. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us this truthful, accurate description of the people that you will change for your glory. And thank you for doing that for us as well in us, in Jesus' name, amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. 